going to make an assumption and you tell me if I'm wrong. You feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. I know it's true. There are always too many things to do and too little time. If you're like me, your boss will walk down the hallway and shout, go home, Beltran. That's why I am telling everyone about the 40-hour work week with Angela Watson. Angela was a guest on this very podcast back in season one, and she shared her ideas for managing your time, teaching, and stuff to help you make the most of your time at work while making time for home too. But that was just the beginning. In her membership, The 40-Hour Workweek, Angela helps you focus on what matters to have a purposeful and productive workday and then go home. Angela helps teachers find, on average, 11 hours a week that they can take back for themselves while still being a great teacher. The best part is that Angela has a new membership, especially for coaches. She partnered with my friend and coffee buddy, Nicole Turner of Simply Coaching, to create the 40-hour work week for coaches. Check it out at buzzingwithmissb.com slash 40-hour week and get your time back. You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. coaches and welcome to episode 112 of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. This month, we're talking about learning together. We're looking at professional development for teachers and how we can be active learners too. So my guest today is somebody I'm super excited about. It's author Jessica Vance. Her book, Leading with a Lens of Inquiry, explores an inquiry-based approach to the adult learners at our schools. It comes out this summer, and so we're getting a little sneak peek of the ideas we might encounter in this book. I'm so looking forward to digging into this topic today with you because the inquiry model is a great way to change the way that we approach um, learning as adults and the way that we think about our practice as, as educators. So I can't wait to welcome Jessica. So welcome to the podcast, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you're here today and I'm really excited to talk about this with you. Um, so before we get started, can you introduce yourself and maybe talk a little bit about who you are, how you ended up, you know, where you are now and what kind of work you're focusing on? Yeah, so my name is Jessica Vance and my current role is Enrichment Environment Coordinator for a public school here in Austin, Texas. Um, and before I stepped into this leadership role, I was a classroom teacher for um, about 10 years and was um, teaching within an IB uh, school and fell in love with inquiry and IB, although I had no idea what it was before I stepped into that world. And um, how I ended up here, I think it's just because of some amazing leaders who continue to nudge me and challenge my thinking and stretch me in this way. And, you know, um, one of my core values is connection. And so connecting with people is something that has always been, you know, part of who I am and what I do, whether it be, you know, uh, in the classroom as a teacher and connecting with my teammates and obviously my students. Um, and then as I continue to kind of learn about the different roles in education and learning um, the different ways that I can connect with others um, in regards to curriculum and then supporting teachers and, you know, whether it be like a conference or, you know, my teammates, like I was mentioning before, being able to collaborate on that level has been something that's continued to drive me and continue to um, um, 
I'd say mold a lot of the work that I, I do today in regards to coaching. Um, my current role as coordinator is actually not a traditional um, instructional coach role, but in order to help grow the program, I've just kind of taken that on. Um, and then as a former IB coordinator prior to this one, um, that was just something again that I, I took on because I just saw the value um, in coaching and helping teachers and not just telling them what to do to coordinate these programs from above, but really to be able to be able to sit there with them. Um, and then in my current role, um, Enrichment Environment Coordinator sounds like this big, like long-winded title. I always tell the kids in my school that I really have the coolest job because I get to do the best of both worlds. I feel like I still get to work with kids by designing enrichment opportunities based off of their interests and passions. Um, and then um, I'm able to integrate the different types of place-based philosophy and education that um, we have on our campus. We back up to this beautiful um, preserved space. And so our students are able to go outside and be able to use that space. But teachers also need support in being able to know exactly how to do that or what to do with that. Um, and so I do a lot of coaching with teachers in regards to inquiry um, in the classroom and outside of the classroom, what that looks like. Um, and then in addition to being able to um, have some really great opportunities working with kiddos and being able to make sure that we're fostering their interests and passions um, throughout our curriculum and programming. How exciting. It's like the best of both worlds. You get a little of the kids and a little of the adults. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I would love if you could paint a picture of the inquiry model as you've used it with students. Um, so yeah, so Kath Murdoch, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work, but she um, has an inquiry model um, that I utilized with students in the classroom, both as a classroom teacher and also um, in my role in working with teachers currently and kind of unpacking what does that look like. Um, so it really just starts with, you know, us tuning in to our students thinking, um, the questions that they have, provoking the, their thinking with what we call a provocation and kind of deciding what steps that we need to take. And after you do a little bit of tuning in, then um, in its cyclical form, although we know learning is not this perfect circle, mm -hmm. um, you do a little bit of finding out. And so taking the data that you've collected through the provocation or even considering student questions as a form of data mm -hmm. of finding out what do we need to do next, where we need to go from here. And then one of my favorite phases, although probably the most challenging is the sorting phase, right? And we know what that looks like as, as learners ourselves is when we're trying to sort through information, it's pretty messy. And so um, I think that's probably the hardest parts also as an educator, because you have to really sit back and listen, but also that's where our um, skills get to shine, I think as educators, because if we know the curriculum standards or we know the where we need to go, we can really you know, nudge our learners with some questions or we can provide some additional resources. Um, after we sort, then we go a little bit further with our knowledge and we take some of that um, co-constructed information or knowledge and we go a little bit further with where do we need to go next. Um, and then um, making connections and then taking action with our learning. And so, you know, when I was in the classroom, I had an inquiry cycle on my wall and I'd really be super explicit with the students about 
where we are in this cycle of learning together and why we're engaging in the learning in this way. And not that I needed them to memorize what stage we were at, because obviously learning is really messy, but I wanted them to understand a little bit more about the why behind the things that we were engaging in today. And then helping them, um, you know, kind of see the structure of learning and what does it look like and, and why in this phase might I have a lot more questions come up or why in this phase am I able to do things um, with a little less like support from the teacher or I need to be with my, my friends a little bit more. So um, I feel like when I utilize that with my students, I saw an engagement and understanding and an empowerment with them um, in a different way than when I kind of just kept it inside of my plan book and, and did it on the side. So um, that's the model that I used in the classroom. And as I mentioned before, I continue to use today with my teachers. Um, um, and of course, there's a lot of different inquiry models. If you even just do a quick Google search, you'll see a lot of different ones. And, you know, it's not, there's not one right one, but I think it's just honoring the learner throughout the process and knowing that learning is a process and it's not just the end product of where we need to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really love the way you described about how, you know, how you have to know where you're headed and you, like what, what the end goal of hopefully what you're, you're uncovering with all this, because we do still have standards. And so I feel like teachers have a real challenge with that. And I know that in using this with teachers and we use a different model, but in using this with teachers, um, they struggled with the idea of their learning can happen. Kids can got, you know, kind of steer the learning and their, their questioning and their curiosity can drive a lot of the lessons, but you can still, you're kind of like the architect of how all this comes together and what mm -hmm. kinds of things you're exposing kids to in order to move them through this, you know, towards these standards. And I mm -hmm. teachers, I know I've worked with a lot of teachers that are just like, I don't know what you're talking about when you, that, that's a real challenge, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So I guess it's, it's like not, they want all or nothing. Do I, do I teach them or do I not? <laughs> you know? Yes, that's definitely a big misconception when it comes to inquiry. It's either free inquiry or it's yeah. not. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Am I planning every lesson to the T or, you know, and, and so they really have struggled with that. So I think that's, I'm, I'm going to say that as, as a coach, if you're supporting teachers, you know, in, in this model or in any inquiry model, it's, that's probably one of, and really that's probably one of the biggest challenges with teaching in general is, is how much, how much do you give? How much do you support how much do you step back and, and watch and wait? And then when do you know when to step in? And do you see those opportunities? Do you, mm -hmm. are you aware of the opportunities that you have to guide kids in that direction without doing all of the leading all the time? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes with the discourse that we have as educators. Mm -hmm. And far too often do we close our doors because of the different mandates and standards and checklists and photocopies and parent mm -hmm. emails and all these things that are on our plates. And so we think if we just get this done, then it'll be better and things will be fine when really that's where inquiry really thrives is when you have your colleagues to be able to talk to and bounce ideas to. I mean, even in my, my role currently, I mean, I have an office by myself, but I am constantly um, calling on critical friends or um, walking down to my principal office and sharing some thinking or going to the teacher down the hallway and sorting through some thinking and ideas or resources that I found. And so I'd say even now, although I'm, I'm uh, geographically isolated in my office, I continue to invite more voices into my practice because I know that's what makes me better. And then I'm sitting in the learning with my learners. Um, and I think 
Um, unfortunately, because of stresses that teachers have, it's a lot easier just to close the door and um, just do your own thing. And um, but but I think we're definitely missing something by not being able to have that discourse um, with one another. And, you know, I'd say, um, although I don't know how many of your listeners have um, a background in IB, I know a lot of people complain about the paperwork in regards to IB and all like the mandates and the standards with that, in addition to like our state standards or whatever other curriculum standards. But I'd say within that framework, what I really learned was the value of just sitting in conversations with our colleagues and be able to really reflect on what is happening, why we think it's happening, and where we possibly want to go next. And far too often, structures and systems don't allow educators for that space to do so. And so coming from that space, um, I'd say no matter which campus I went to, it's definitely something that I've carved out space for because I know there's so much value in that. And then sometimes we just need time to sit in it with one another. And, you know, that's how the creative process also kind of works too, right? Artists will probably tell you the same thing, that it's not like all of a sudden they have these amazing works of art. They've sat in it for a while, or they've gone through a bunch of iterations. And so why are we not considering that part of our practice too, as educators? Um, and, you know, if we don't have that embedded or we don't have that supported within our, in our, by our leadership, then I think that's something that educators should advocate for and, um, you know, try to figure out ways to make space for that. And I think um, that's also one of the things that I really love about this coaching role is that it makes that space for teachers. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not like I'm coaching teachers who need the help. I invite myself into spaces constantly all the time. Um, I call them learning walks. My principal and I just didn't, were on a learning walk for about an hour and a half today. And we, we make time probably about two or three hours every single week on our calendar just to be in classrooms. We want to sit down at the table with the kids. We want to check in with our teachers to see how things are going. We want to follow up with something that we thought was really cool that one of their students told us. And we learn so much because um, we make time for that. And then later what ends up happening is our teachers come back to us or they'll catch us in the hall and follow up with us in that other way. And so, um, you know, those are some casual ways to make space um, to have some of those really rich conversations. And um, although those happen in these like small little pockets, mm -hmm. um, I think they can happen in those spaces and all those, those like longer extended planning meetings or those extended um, you know, time for us to kind of dig into curriculum and discuss how and why is really important. So you're kind of, you're kind of um, getting around the question that I, I want to know, which is like, how do you, how have you kind of adjusted the model that you use with students yes. to use it with adults, given sure. the, you know, limitations that we have and, and yep. the needs of the adults? Yeah. So I think, um, not I think, I know that I'm really <laughs> intentional with the way that I am spending time with my teachers. So as I mentioned in regards to the inquiry model, it starts with a provocation or tuning into my learners. And so whether I'm leading professional development at a staff meeting or I have a half day with teachers, or even if I'm sitting one-on-one -on -one with a teacher, I'm always starting with that stage where I'm starting with some sort of provocation to nudge their thinking in a certain way. And a provocation can be a video that I found on Twitter that I thought would connect to a unit that I know that's happening. A provocation could come in the form of a podcast, a provocation, a series of photos. And so I'll use those as our launching point to talk about it and usually structure it with some sort of um, thinking routine if I'm in a more formal setting or, you know, carefully kind of design questions to start to engage in a conversation. And starting with that, what does it do? It's showing something else that is um, something that I really value. And it's 
being curious and um, making space for curiosity. So there's not this like one agenda that I'm looking for. And I'll give you um, an example where I was kind of tested with that a couple of weeks ago, actually, Chrissy. Um, I was leading a session of some specials teachers and we were engaging in some work about what are the dispositions of um, a student who leaves our campus? What do we want them to be embodying? And um, how can we work together as a campus and particularly the specials team to be able to help grow that um, within our students. And I, we started off with this brainstorming session. We had all these sticky notes out on the table. And, um, one of the teachers said to me after we were kind of grouping them and organizing them, she's like, okay, now, which ones did you want us to pick? And I said, <laughs> I, she totally said, and I held up my paper. I said, you know what, actually I had nothing on my paper. And she's like, oh, come on. And I said, no, I said, the learning is happening with you. I said, of course, there's things that I think that are really important, but you guys act, lifted them up. Why? Because it's in all the things that we already do. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, um, I just, I, I loved that moment. And I don't think she could like realize that I was like genuinely there because yeah. I was curious to know what they wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and then again, like I'm guiding the conversation with some really open-ended questions, like what makes you say that? Or I'm so curious to know more, or why is this really important to you? And like the way that I'm even leaning into you now, I know our listeners can't see it, but I'm leaning in, I'm really mm -hmm. listening. I'm super curious. And so I start with that very intentionally. Um, because it shows the people that I'm working with and my teachers, the things that I really value. Mm -hmm. And then from there, like I'm really tuning in and listening to the things that they're asking. Right. So, um, you know, obviously there's that one example that I was giving you with that teacher of the thing that she was asking me, but there's different questions that kind of came up during that session or during other sessions that I'm really tuning into. And I write it down in my notebook. And although I might have like a scope and sequence, if you will, or like where I think that I want to go, I'm also, flexible enough to know that it can kind of go in some different places. And I'm very transparent about that. Um, I just did this a couple of days ago, again, with that specials group, I had them back in again, and we were working on something and the learning started taking us in a totally different place. And I stopped and I paused and I said, okay, right here is where I thought we were going to go, but you guys are showing me that we need to go over here. And mm -hmm. I wanted to be super transparent with them so that they can see that I was honoring their voice and their questions. Mm -hmm. um, even to start that session, I had lifted up some questions that were in my notebook from a couple months prior. And I said, okay, today we're gonna start with these. These are the things that were really important to you guys last time. We're gonna dig into those. And then I made the connection with where it is that we needed to go together as a group, but I wanted to be super explicit with that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, although there's so many different moves that I feel like I embed and within my work with teachers, I feel like those are two really big, powerful ones that anybody could start with, right? Like what kind of thinking do you want to provoke within your learners? And then here's the key. Are you actually curious with what it is that they want to share with you? Mm -hmm. And are you open enough and willing enough to be able to let them guide you to that place? Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, if you see anything that I share on social media, questions is huge. And obviously questions is synonymous with curiosity, but questions just are so rich. Um, and I feel like it's what helps us not have to do all the work, right? Because our learners are doing the work for us. But if we can really listen in and tune into the types of questions that our learners are asking us, 
Um, so I feel like those have been pretty powerful um, in regards to my work with teachers using the inquiry model. Like I said, I, I use all the, the, the framework that I've kind of outlined before in my PD sessions, and I even use that language with them, you know, so, you know, maybe we've moved past the first initial stages. Okay, now we're going to find out. Here's a couple of different resources for you to explore on this slide deck. There's some articles on the table. And so I'm really transparent about the language as well because I want our teachers to hear it. If I'm asking them to do it in their classrooms, mm -hmm. then I should be utilizing the same language and the same moves as well. So provocations, uh, thinking routines, questions, um, and again, just like uh, making their thinking visible as well is a huge one that I'm a big proponent of um, because it allows our teachers or allows our learners a space to be able to make connections and things that we could not necessarily have done ourselves. So. I'm a really big um, uh, proponent of that visual piece and my office. Um, I know I'm at home right now, but if you were to walk into my office at school, although I'm isolated, um, I have a huge wall that is full of our learning as adults. And so it is anchored with our vision statement right in the middle. And I started with a blank wall with just our vision statement. And as the learning is unfolded, as teachers have been reflecting, as um, different um, sticky notes have been collected at, at various PD mm -hmm. opportunities, I'm putting those up on our learning wall. And it's just a really great space to anchor and see the learning that's unfolding, to see the teachers making connections. You know, I have teachers go up to that wall and be like, here's my question, or this is my question, or oh my gosh, this connects to this other thing that we were doing over here. And so I really think that that learning wall or an inquiry wall or whatever you kind of want to call it is really that third teacher that I really leverage a ton with my um, with my teachers because it's so powerful the way that we know that teachers use that in their classroom with their with their students right we know that the wall space is such a great way for us to anchor the learning um and so why are we also not doing that with our adult learners as well um so it's pretty powerful so those are just a few although um you know there, there's there's many but i'd say those are some really great ones to start with and ones that i'm always super intentional and mindful about yeah they do sound really good um i like you talked about using the wall space. I remember being a new coach and talking to my, my principal and I was a brand new coach. I had never coached before. And the coach that we had had whenever I was a teacher was not like a true coach. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was, I remember talking to her and saying, well, I'm working on my room, but I'm not sure what to do with a wall space. And she said, well, what would you do whenever you're a teacher? I said, well, it's mostly blank spaces at the beginning of the year. It was blank spaces. And then as we learn stuff, we, we built the walls, you know, and she said, well, why wouldn't you do that with teachers? And I thought, okay, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that's true. Mm -hmm. I should do that. And mm -hmm. absolutely. I think that, that sometimes you feel like you have to, as a coach, that if things are different, like you forget what you know about learning, you know, mm -hmm. but because we're like, well, they're adult learners, but adult learners, there, there, there are some special things about the way adults learn, but mm -hmm. a lot of it is just the way people learn. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to dump everything you know about learning whenever you become a coach. <laughs> no, and it's so funny. Um, so I do a lot of coaching with um, leaders around the globe. And that's actually one of the things that I share a lot about, like, what did you do with your students in the classroom? Mm -hmm. And they say the same exact thing and they, or they forget what it's kind of like. And, um, you know, that's, that's definitely one of the areas that we, we focus on and where can you lift up the learning? How can you show that you honor your teacher's voice mm -hmm. and their agency in regards to where you're going? Yes. You know, in your role of, where they can go the same way that a teacher knows where their students can go. And also mm -hmm. how can we help 
help them co-construct the learning along the way and help them facilitate their own learning along the way with you know our expertise and knowledge too so yeah it's 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 easy to forget and i'd say um you know there's a lot of new coaches who i end up coaching and um you know it's always super fun because they're so excited just the same way like a new to profession teacher is but then yes they forgot about everything and so or they want to do all the things and i'm like yeah. okay let's go slow let's mm -hmm. stop and let's pause and like what's going to be the biggest bang for our buck here or what do your learners really want to know or what do your teachers really need to explore what are they really wanting to be able to really dig into and they're like well i don't know i'm like okay well let's start there let's mm -hmm. start there what does that look like and sometimes adults don't know what they actually want to learn because they've no. never been asked that's right You've never been asked, you know, I don't know what I'm curious about. Okay, great. Well, let's like stop and pause and like figure it out mm -hmm. together. And again, there's the power of the provocation. So if they have never had this opportunity or they've never had somebody ask them that question, then that's my job and that's my role to be able to inspire them, right? Mm -hmm. The same way that teachers job and roles to inspire their students. Yeah. I remember working with a school that was um, implementing genius hour mm -hmm. and they were talking about you know, well, if you had, you know, an hour a week to spend on your own passion project, what would it be? And so many of the teachers were like, oh, and it was like, really? I have like 97 things that I would do. Um, and, but um, they, they really, some of them really struggled with it. And it was a real challenge to get people to think about what they were interested in. If they could learn about whatever they wanted, what would it be? And that was, and that was kind of sad, you know, honestly, I mean, it was, it was, um, yeah, I remember I had a friend who who was brilliant, but he struggled in school because he, well, he just hated it. And he, he used to say, the teachers that I liked best were the most interesting people. <laughs> and if we're not interesting as people, you know, well, what, why, why do kids want to be around us, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's honoring that teachers are whole people is one way to help them be interesting teachers. Exactly. You know, this year as a school, we've taken on the concept of play to frame our entire mm -hmm. year. Um, we know that play um, is obviously a, a child's natural form of inquiry, right? I know you have two little ones, so you probably yes. see them playing and exploring the world all the time. Um, and we wanted to bring that back, not only for our students who were virtual or remote for, you know, a year to two years, but also for our teachers. And so before they actually even stepped foot into our building, they went out and they played in the city and we designed different field trips, if you will, based off of their interest. We said, hey, what are some things that you're curious about? And then we gave them some like kind of general categories and then they, they chose from there and obviously they can fill in their own. And then we just designed some opportunities for them to play and connect with one another. Um, so whether it be um, like an art class at an art museum or some of them learned how to do some acrobatics which was kind of fun some of them went to a wildflower museum and we're spending some time outside and so we knew our learners and we knew the things that they were interested in and we wanted to give them an opportunity to play and explore and find something right some of them didn't know they're like i don't yeah. know this one sounds good my friend's going here um <laughs> but uh which is totally fine too like that's yeah. great right let's connect find interest, common interests of others all the time yeah. <laughs> yeah and so we've we've continued that that concept of play so we've had another um pd day if you will where we sent them back out here's some other things go explore um and then um we also start our staff meetings with just some opportunities to play whether it be like a quick trivia game or a scavenger hunt or some other card game on the table um, and so I just think 
that idea has been really great for our staff, not only to come back together as whole teachers and whole people, but also to show them the thing that we value in regards to, um, you know, being creative or being like, you know, curious about something else, because far too often our school systems take that away. And we mm. also know that it was, you know, exacerbated with COVID and the restrictions and the ways that we were disconnected. Um, and so my principal and I thought about like, well, what is something that we need to give back to them? What is something that we want to cultivate within them? Well, we have to cultivate that within them. We also have to give them the space to do so. So we've been really intentional and really mindful to be able to provide opportunities for that. And sometimes they roll their eyes. Like, I just want to do right. this meeting. Can we just be done? But every single time they're like, oh my God, that was so much fun. Or right. this is making me think about this or, oh, I want to do this with my kids. And just so it from five minutes to like a half a day, you know, and anywhere in between, you know, we really need to be mindful about the spaces that we're cultivating for and with our teachers in order to be able to cultivate the things that we want them to be doing with their students. Mm -hmm. So really embodying that mindset as leaders is something that I'm really passionate about and something that I believe in wholeheartedly um, in you know, all of my actions that I um, take both on my campus and um, those that I lead and coach off, my, off in my current role. I love that. Thank you. So something that I've been wondering about, and yeah. this is because of a challenge that I had as a new coach yeah. is, is about common language and having an understanding and, you know, teachers handing, having the understanding of inquiry as a framework. How have you built the common language? You mentioned a little bit about using it as a model with your teachers. Whenever you actually mm -hmm. work with them, you use the same language, but is there anything else that you've explicitly done to kind of support that development with them? Um, I think making the thinking visible is huge. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, having those visible, visible cues for our learners or for our teachers is really important. Um, I'd say, you know, as a campus, that's still something that we're working on. I'd say mm -hmm. there's varying degrees of understanding of what inquiry is, you know, even when I'm listening to teachers kind of share of like them doing inquiry, if you will. Um, I know that there's, you know, various shades of gray that they're not really necessarily describing. And so I'll lift those up, you know, I was with a teacher the other day and we were reading an article and talking about it together. And she was just like, well, I couldn't do this thing over here because X and Y and Z. And I said, okay. I said, well, what can you do? And so she was like, thought about it for a second. And she's like, well, I can do this and I can do this and I can do this. I said, great. Did you know that's also part, part of inquiry? And she's like, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. And so I was, I lift up the things that are still part of inquiry because I feel like inquiry still, there's so many misconceptions, even though it's been around for so long. Um, and so I'll lift up those different misconceptions for teachers so that way they feel like they have success in regards to um, practicing as an inquiry educator. You know, again, you know, I'm modeling it constantly with questions and curiosity. Um, uh, I'd say there's so many parts and pieces to inquiry. So it's not like this one thing means that you're doing inquiry or not doing inquiry, right? You know, I'd always, I always tell teachers like, let's just start with being curious. Let's just start with questions, you know? And I think that in itself, honestly, Chrissy just takes so much, like there's so many things to unpack in regards to curiosity and questions and the different ways that it looks and sounds. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, I'll say it time and time again, it's just like me continuing to model the same language over and over. And, you know, I'll sit and I'll reflect with my principal and I'm like, I feel like I'm saying the same thing. And she's like, I know me too, but she's like, guess what? They need us to keep saying the same yeah. thing. <laughs> so true. <laughs> it's so true. You feel you do. You feel like, oh, come on, this is this is overkill. Mm -hmm. um, and then people will say, what is that? And you're like, 
the thing that I've said every day since August. Okay, let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah. And that, that's the thing that you say in your head and you're like, right. yeah. of course, in your head. Totally. <laughs> yes. Yes, I know. Actually, I had a teacher say this to me a couple of weeks ago and she's like, yeah, you know, I feel like I'm just finally understanding this reflection thing. And then she stopped and she looked at me slowly. She's like, oh my gosh, you've been doing and modeling this for me for like three years, haven't you? And I was like, what makes you say that? (laughs) And so I just threw back another question and she was able to like list and talk about the things. Yeah. (laughs) She had one of those moments where she was like, hold on, maybe I've seen this before. It was so great. And it was just so wonderful. And yeah, then instead, <laughs> instead of again, like responding to me, like, mm-hmm, right. I was just like, yeah, what makes you say that? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's not to say that we never get frustrated when we feel like we're saying the same thing over and over and we sound like that, that broken record, but you know, how can we again, stop and pause and be like, okay, mm-hmm. what's really important here. This relationship is really important. The fact right. that this teacher got to this moment and is making these connections, that's really important. And so, you know, I talk about questions as like a great way to leverage our roles as leaders and to leverage our roles as inquiry teachers and inquiry leaders. But also this is like one of my secret moves is that questions help me stop and pause my brain and my natural inclination to like interject. And so really when I'm saying, what makes you say that? Yes, I'm curious, but I'm also like trying to help my human brain to like retrain and, and really be more present in that moment and catch myself when I have patterns that are coming up. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it seems like a simple thing and it is a simple thing, but it is pretty challenging. I mean, I don't know how many of you, or if you meditate, but it's hard to sit there with your thoughts or non-thoughts. So yeah, <laughs> yes, and that is a really good tip. And it's something I had to work on a lot as well, because yeah, I, I, I process orally things come out of my mouth as, as I think them. And so I had to do a lot of, and I also, I get really excited, right? I mean, you probably do too, mm-hmm. you, yeah. or whenever people are collaborating and you, you know, you have lots of ideas and it's very easy to just dump it all out there. And mm-hmm. so yes, questions are a really good way to kind of minimize well, to, to really take a minute to think about what's going to come out of your mouth before it comes out. <laughs> True. And like all, you know, I think Chrissy, that's still like a powerful move too as well. And I don't know, you know, Elena Aguilar talks about this a lot is she, and she does this just so beautifully. Like she models her thinking out loud. She's like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to take you through my thought process right now. Or here's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And what a great intentional move as a coach um, to be able to like help almost like pull back the curtain, if you will, to help the person who's sitting beside you or across from you, like understand like where your thinking is taking you or where their thinking should be going because they're not quite there as well. So, um, you know, I'm kind of the same as well where I process out loud. Um, Mm -hmm. but I know in watching her and and going to a couple of trainings with her and her readings, that's something that I've definitely picked up. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I really admire in her because it is sometimes people don't know what they're supposed to be thinking or how they should be making different connections. And so I think modeling that as a coach and as a leader, the same way that our teachers do for their kids in their classroom, when they're modeling reading strategies, right? They're doing it. They're they're modeling their thinking and we should be doing that as well too, as leaders. Yes, totally. I, I can remember having conversations with teachers early in my coaching career where they would say, how do you know that? How did you think of that? Yes. And I had, and I would, I'd have to slow down just like, like whenever we model writing or just like, you know, anything else. And I'd have to, I'd tell them, okay, I'm going to slow down my brain. I'm going to open it up and then you can see all the stuff that's going to happen. And, you know, then we can, we can talk about it because mm-hmm. if they do, if that hasn't been modeled for people and they don't think in the same way, mm-hmm. then how do they just figure it out? 
we're just expecting them just to figure it out. And they, it doesn't work that way <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so and that's a really great tool actually for something that you mentioned earlier about getting teachers to reflect, you know, using that as a model and an explicit model. So you're actually using the language, you know, I'm just going to reflect a little bit here, you know, just like making it as clear as you possibly can. Um, and, uh, and I just had a coaching call the other day, actually, with a, with a coach who was struggling to get her teachers to reflect on their teaching because what they were saying was a reflection was more like um, they would look at their lesson plan and like see if they did all the parts. You know, and they'd say, yes, I did all the parts. And that was their reflection. And mm -hmm. so she was trying to encourage them to think differently about their teaching and to think differently about, you know, what the react, what the students did and how this impacted students and how did they respond and what did I do to spur this reaction. And um, so that that model is a great way to like consistently expose them to mm -hmm. the way that we think about our own teaching, no matter what level of teaching we're doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I'm curious about, or mm -hmm. I'm really wondering a little bit more, or um, can you show me some of the things that your, your students were thinking, or some of the evidence from the learning from that day is also a great nudge to, you know, I've said the other one, what makes you say that is one of my favorite questions to use time and time again, I use also with my personal children, um, because it really it, it kind of forces the listener to stop and pause and be like, wait a second, I'm not really sure. Actually, hold on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let me dig a little bit deeper and I'm not actually sure why I did that thing. Um, so yeah, I feel like having those structures is really important. And again, it's, it's just a couple of different sentence frames that we can just kind of always have on the ready, you know, whether it be on a sticky note or um, somewhere else that you have kind of close by for sure. Yes. I totally agree with having them out written out. Um, Mm -hmm. for a while until they become second nature, whatever it is that you're trying to grow in yourself, in your own language. Mm -hmm. And I used to have a little sticky on my laptop and, and one in my little notebook. And it was just things that I wanted to say more or things that I could say if I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> when, when sometimes you're like shocked or surprised or, you know, whatever, any feelings that you're having um, in response, sometimes you need something to go to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually on my, my badge for work, I have on the back side of it, little um, sentence or question frames that are on the back side of my badge. And so, um, although I don't necessarily need them all the time, I also have them in my office. Um, they're just there as this like quiet little nudge on the side. And then oftentimes some teachers will kind of ask me like, Hey, what's that thing on the back side of your badge? And I'm like, Oh, you know, they're actually just some sentence stems or some question frame for me. You need those too. Yeah. I'm human. Sometimes I like get so excited or I, I forget, or I'm like looking at the clock because I know I need to be someplace else. So these are such a great way for me to little be, be a little bit softer and remind myself to be curious. And so, yeah, anything about that visual cue, I feel like is so key and crucial, um, especially when our time is limited and we want to continue to show what we value and that's being curious and that's honoring the learner and questions do that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, so you've mentioned a few challenges of using the inquiry model, model with adults, but is there yeah. anything else that has been really challenging Hmm. I'd say, you know, when coaching, like we're, most of us have not gone to school as children with an inquiry based approach to teaching mm -hmm. and learning. So it's almost like we are unlearning the things that we were, we learned as children. And, you know, when we come into a space where we're feeling really stressed, which 
you know, clearly education is that space right now, we're going to go into our reptile brain. And what is our reptile brain going to do? And it's going to do the things that are, you know, automatic things we've done, you know, time and time and time again. And so I think to be able to rewrite the patterns for that and to unlearn some of the things that we learned forever ago, or to even, um, you know, there's sometimes some educators are like, well, it worked for me or my kids are performing at this level. Okay. And what else? Like, is there a different way we can do something? So I'd say, I'd say those are probably really hard teachers who are feeling really stressed that they don't have enough time to do inquiry or, you know, other educators who, um, whose students are, you know, finding a whole lot of success. Why should I do something different if this is quote unquote working? Um, and you know, I, never try to convince somebody to, this is the way that you have to do it. I think that, you know, I continue to embody the same dispositions of an inquiry leader and model the same things that I know that are really valuable and what are really um, important for our students with, with teachers as well. And then, you know, usually over time, I think, you know, everybody obviously, you know, kind of takes sometimes a little bit longer or shorter. Eventually, I think, you know, people see like, okay, this is a type of teaching that values the whole child or the whole person or the whole teacher. This is um, a way, a natural way of teaching and learning that honors questions and curiosity and gives our learners agency and empowers them in their learning to be agents over their own learning and not just consuming. So, um, you know, and I think one of the other things too is like just understanding that this is not um, a fix it thing. Like it's not just one thing you're going to get and then tomorrow it like fixes the problem, right? Um, I'd say that, you know, in order to, to, to know that it's okay to go slow because you're going to really be buying yourself time later um, and to see um, and to trust the process kind of along the way. Um, um, so yeah, I, and I'd say, you know, anytime that I've stepped foot onto a campus, um, on a new campus, I know I'm not going to see changes like tomorrow or in a couple of months from now, it's going to take some time. But like I said, I'm going to continue to lean into those, to those values and dispositions of an inquiry leader or, um, an inquiry teacher time and time again. And, um, eventually over time, you know, kind of once teachers see that they are valued in the process, then why wouldn't they want to, you know, kind of take part in that or be like, oh, wow, they actually, this, this leader or this coach or this principal actually really cares about me and my needs. Um, and then they, you know, kind of begin to try some of the things that I'm suggesting along the way too. So what are some of those changes that you've seen in teachers mm-hmm. in terms of not just in their teaching necessarily, mm-hmm. but as that in them as people or individuals? hmm Um, you know, it's really funny that you're asking me this because I asked this very question to some teachers that I worked with at my former campus as I was starting to write the book that Mm -hmm. is currently in its editing process. Um, I, when I was, when I, it's actually been almost a year now, um, since I first started writing and I went to some former teachers and I asked them questions and I just said, you know, what made what made me different? What made you try the things that I suggested? Mm-hmm. What made you trust me along the way? What um, was different about um, the way in which that I um, coached or led you while we were together um, as colleagues on the same campus? And it was so interesting to see and hear from them um, that they said all the same things. And um, 
They said, I knew that you really cared about me. I knew that you were curious about the things that I was curious about and that you would never be one to tell me what to do, but that you would nudge me in a gentle way um, that made suggestions and offered me choice to be able to try something in a way that I was really comfortable with. And um, every single time each of those um, teachers said that to me, it surprised me each time because I, that's just who I am. That's how I was with my students. Um, and so I took those same mindsets and that same, those same ways of approaching my learners um, to the adult learners. And it was really apparent with all of them, you know, the soft nudges, the leaning into curiosity and their questions, you know, yes, they saw that I had a vision of where we wanted to go, but they always knew that, um, we were co-constructing that together, that there was never this thing that I was like secretly trying to do on the side that I was really, yeah, there was, there was none of that, you know, and I had some teachers, of course, over time be like, what are you looking for? And every single time I would be like, there's nothing I'm really looking for. I'm just super curious to see how things are unfolding or if there's a different way that I can support you or what's happening in this unit. And each and every time I responded that way it was out of just a genuine, um, you know, curiosity and concern for them as my learners. Um, and so it was really apparent with all of them. And so to be honest, having their voice in that way is really what nudged me to continue to write because I never thought that I would be writing a book. Um, but to hear my learners say that I was like, okay, this, there, there's something to this. So I can't just, you know, um, not do something about this. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So I, yeah. So my learners, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. would you tell us a little bit about your book? Sure. It's called leading with a lens of inquiry. Um, and it is a book that embodies a lot of the things that we've talked about here today. Um, but if we want our teachers to be teaching with an inquiry mindset, because we know that it's best for student learning, then we need to be embodying those same mindsets and those same moves as leaders, right? And so um, we need to be honoring the whole teacher. We need to be reflecting. We need to be curious about our, our learners. We need to be advancing their own teacher agency. Um, we need to be able to be their biggest supporters the same way that teachers are their students' biggest supporters in the way that we know is the, is just a natural way to learn. Right. And so being playful and being open-minded to those things. So, um, in the book, I talk about different strategies and different ways to be able to embody this mindset, different dispositions to embody as an inquiry leader, um, and how to make these changes, even within the systems that were given, you know, none of the schools that I have been at have been these like perfect quote unquote private schools um, or have not been, you know, having the same pressures of standards or district mandates or, or whatnot. And so inquiry is still able to thrive within those spaces. And as leaders, we're still able to maintain um, this mindset as well. And of course, it's going to look different given our different contexts because um, we're coming from different places and our learners are different and as it should, but, um, yeah, I'm really excited about the work. Um, I've been able to collaborate and connect with, you know, like I was saying, some former colleagues of mine on this project and, um, even some of the coaching work that I've done with some leaders around the globe, their voices have been added into the piece, which was kind of this unexpected surprise that I didn't expect along the way. But, um, you know, I wanted to share their stories and, um, the reflections that they, you know, had because of the work that we engaged in with each other, because we maintained this inquiry mindset. 
Um, so yeah, I'm really, really excited. It's supposed to come out in mid-May. Right now, I just got back my first round of edits, which is really exciting to see. Um, and so I'm going to be digging into those in a couple of weeks over spring break. And um, fingers crossed, I'm also waiting for um, somebody who I really admire and respect to write the forward. Um, they have not committed yet and that's okay. Um, but yeah, so everything is kind of falling into place and um, I'm really excited to be able to continue to add a voice to um, the global inquiry community and um, hopefully empower um, leaders of all sizes and shapes and teachers to be able to embody this mindset as well. Yeah, that is so exciting. Um, congratulations, that's great. Thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> so having gone through this process, uh, with more than one, one campus, is there anything that you would do differently? Or like, if you're going to go start at another campus, you know, um, what would you do differently to start out with mm -hmm. this model of teachers? You know, um, I'd say differently is how I utilize a learning wall. And I know I've shared a little about that with you already. But I think beforehand, when I first started, I'd put up anchor charts from, you know, that captured some evidence from the learning that we'd had together during professional development or, you know, maybe some different initiatives that we were working on as a campus. Um, but there was just not really a lot of like in, intention behind it. I put it up there because that's what I did as a teacher. And then it went on this wall and then it was there and it lived there and I looked at it. But I'd say the way that I utilize my learning wall in my office this year has been pretty transformative. Um, and so it's not just anchor charts, but I'm really intentional with lifting up the thinking in front of my learners. Um, I'm really intentional with the kinds of questions that I put there to anchor the things that we're thinking about or the things that we're unpacking together. Um, and I'm really just mindful about the evidence and how I'm gathering evidence throughout um, the learning as it's unfolding, right? Um, and so, you know, this week and last week, I had some different sessions with some teachers. And as I was engaging in the learning with them and sitting beside them at our conference table, I was, you know, kind of jotting some things down and really like looking at the landscape and the things that were happening. I was writing down teacher questions on sticky notes and keeping them for later because I knew I wanted to lift those up on that learning wall. So whether or not that reflection came through when I asked them to do um, um, some sort of other formal reflection or a visible thinking routine. Um, I knew there were some specific things that I wanted to capture in what it was that they were saying. Um, and so I'd say the intentionality in regards to utilizing a wall as that third teacher to be able to collect evidence to tell the story of learning is probably something that I would definitely do differently now, um, if I um, had to start all over again. Yeah, that is, that's such an, an amazing tool. Can you yeah. share about what it sounds like when you lift up that learning at the time with teachers present? Yeah, so um, I'm a huge fan of sticky notes or post-it notes. Um, and I always have a, stick of, a stack of them right beside me. And I will jot down their questions, usually on a sticky note. And sometimes the sticky notes will just kind of stay on the table. And a little bit later, I might do a little bit of sorting and notice a little bit of patterning and then put them up on the learning wall in that way in collections based off of the patterns that I'm seeing. Um, sometimes I'll let the, the teachers do the sorting. Like, here's some questions you guys were asking during our time together. I'm wondering if you notice any patterns and I'll have them do the sorting and have them put that up there. Um, I will 
connect them to the learning wall and say like, you know, here's what we've unpacked so far, right? And I might talk about like our vision statement, or I might talk about some other type of learning that we've engaged in together. And how do you think this connect to some of the other things that we're doing? So I'll do that and have them literally stand up, take that piece of chart paper and go stick it up on the wall right where it is. And so just the intentionality about those different parts and pieces, um, but also leaving enough space for my learners to make the connections as well. Um, uh, sometimes, you know, happy accidents happen when I just end up leaving things there and then the learners start making different connections for themselves. But I think the evidencing of learning um, is super important and su super crucial. And how can we do it in a way that's really visual, right? Like I've mentioned before, using visible thinking routines. I'm a really big fan of Ron Richard and Mark Church. Church's work and their visible thinking structures are all over my office space. Um, and not only because it captures what's happening in the conversations and the thinking when we're engaging together, but then also it's up there as evidence for teachers to go back and look at later, like, oh, we did this circle of viewpoints activity when we were talking about um, this concept together during our half day, like, I want to go try that with my kids. Mm -hmm. And so leaving those thinking routines up there, there's a mindfulness because these are things that I want my teachers to do as well. Mm -hmm. And thinking routines have the power to be able to um, provide equity and voice for all of our learners. And so those are things that I'm really mindful of, of putting up there as well, especially, um, you know, if there's something that's happening with one grade level, but it mm -hmm. goes up on that learning wall, then other grade levels have the right. opportunity to kind of see, you know, like um, with my specials teachers, we're doing a book study or we've been engaging in a book study this year and no other grade level teacher really it participates with the specialist teachers in that way, but they're like, oh, wait, you're reading this book. I want to go read this book too. Can we do a book study on this? Right. And so just having those little celebrations too, I think is such a great way to, to evidence the learning, but then also to like highlight and, and show other teachers and connect teachers in a different way. That's gorgeous. I love it. Um, so I know that if a coach is listening and they haven't really engaged with inquiry before, and even if they have, <laughs> yes. and they want to start implementing this, um, mm -hmm. it can seem really overwhelming. So yep. what is, what's something that they can do first? Like well, the first step that they can take to get started? Um, I'd say stop and pause <laughs> and slow down, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, um, I think it's really, really easy for us to go into, um, let me tell you the answer mode because our intentions are really just to help and to support. Right. Um, but really we're doing our learners a disservice by stepping in. So I'd say stopping and pausing and then um, utilizing some sentence frames like we've mentioned a couple of times before, I think is a really good um, thing. And then um, I think that knowing who your learners are or who your teachers are and really knowing who they are and when I say that, is it just the time that you're sitting in a coaching session with them? How can you um, vary the opportunities that you get to know them? Can you just kind of swing by their classroom, you know, in the morning when they're greeting their students and kind of seeing how their classroom is set up or the things, the way that they engage with their learners, you know, like what are the different ways that you make space to get to know your learners? And then really lean in and listen to the questions that they're asking 
and also the questions that they're not asking, Mm -hmm. because sometimes those are the things that really tell me something. Um, And so I jot down a lot of my thinking in my own little inquiry in notebook over here. And, you know, I'll go back and I'll kind of reflect on the things that I'm seeing and the things that I'm not seeing. So questions, um, getting to know your learners, I think are very easy first steps. And although they might seem small or like, yeah, what's the big deal? I feel like there's a whole lot of power in what those look like and what they can bring to the learning in the landscape. Sure. They, yeah. They, they can change the way that you approach your teachers, that you approach working together, mm-hmm. um, the way that you think about your job. So yeah, great start. Yeah. So how can people find you to learn more? Where can they go? Um, so I'm really active on, um, Instagram, Jess underscore Vance edu. Um, and I share a lot of my own reflections and the things that I'm engaging in with my teachers and with the students that I get to work with. Um, and then also on Twitter, the same Jess underscore, underscore Vance edu. And then, um, I also have my website leadingwithinquiry.com. And on there, I have a lot of different resources and some different things that I use in regards to, you know, my own role as like a coach um, and coordinator. And then just some things that I have utilized with teachers to help support them um, to um, embody an inquiry mindset and to be able to um, lean in a little bit further into those dispositions. So I definitely encourage um, your listeners to come find me, come say hi, Um, honestly, and I don't know if this sounds silly, but Um, I mean, I'm super creative. So a lot of the content that I create is definitely inspired by the things that I'm seeing every day, but it's also inspired by those who connect with me online. And I can't Mm -hmm. tell you enough how many times, you know, somebody will ask me a question and it just sparks some thinking and idea. And then I end up creating kind of something based off of that. So not only are my learners um, in my building, but I feel like also the learners that we have together online is such a great way for us to continue to connect to each other and with one another and help each other grow. So um, yeah, yeah, if you find me there, please say hello. I'd love to um, know who you are and know what questions you have. That's so true because that's somebody asked me once, well, how do you keep thinking of ideas for new things to work on? I said, well, you just talk to people and the ideas come out of that naturally, <laughs> you know, they just do, um, mm-hmm. because everybody has different challenges and different struggles, and then you can do something that will support that struggle. So you, you know, mm-hmm. you come up with ideas to respond to that. And so, yeah, I, that's, I, people don't believe me whenever I say that I love to talk shop, but I do, I really do. You know, <laughs> like tell my friends, call me. I mean it. You're in the, you're still on the campus. I want to talk about what you're doing. And they, they're like, no, nobody would want to talk about this in their free time. <laughs> but you're like, yeah. no, I am. So it sounds like you're curious as well about your learners as well. So. Yes. Well, yeah, Amazing. we, I think that's, um, it comes with the, uh, with the responsibility of, of, of being a coach and serving people. You know, we do have to know, we have to know who we're trying to help. Right. And it's also a challenge too, as a coach, because you also have your principal who maybe has a different vision, but it doesn't mean that because your principal has a different vision than you have, that there's not still some way that you can influence um, those that you're working with or lean into the things that you value a lot. You know, I feel like, you know, I'm so glad that you lifted that up because that's definitely, and I don't know if you hear the same question as well. Like my principal doesn't believe in X, Y, or Z, or my principal doesn't support this. And so like, what am I supposed to do? And so, you know, that's, you know, I'll tell them the same things that you, honestly, the question that you just asked me is like, okay, well, let's lean into the things that we can do, right? Like, what can we be really curious about? What can we 
you know, what kinds of questions can we ask that embody that curiosity and, and let our learners know that we really value their voice and we really want to be um, um, an advocate for them. So um, it, it's, I know it makes our job more challenging when we don't have a leader who necessarily supports that kind of mindset or definitely supports that kind of work, but um, you know, it doesn't mean that it can't be done. Yes, I totally agree. It's, it is more challenging. We're working with limitations, but, um, but you can find ways to, to integrate the basic mm-hmm. principles of something that's important to you for sure. Right. And why not leverage our role, right? Like, gosh, think of how many people we get to see all the time. So let's leverage our roles as, you know, coordinators or coaches and how can we help empower our teachers? And again, just kind of revisiting how tired teachers are feeling. They need somebody to root for them. And if their administration is not, then we need to be that voice for them. That's right. Even when it's hard and scary. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially uh-huh. when it's hard and scary, probably. Yep. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I, I really enjoyed our conversation and um, I look forward to your book coming out. It's going to be thank great. You so thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate your time. Well, if you are feeling overwhelmed, I want you to just, just like Jessica said, take a breath, just take a pause here and think about how you can integrate some of these ideas into your interactions with teachers. We can certainly be better at getting curious. We can certainly be better at asking more questions rather than making more statements. And so those are some things that we can take away from this model, even if we don't feel ready to jump into a whole inquiry model, you know, approach with teachers. As learners, we can start by asking the questions. And over time, teachers can ask the questions too, if they see us model this every day. So I want to share another resource with you um, that Jessica actually mentioned. That's episode 28. Uh, Elena Aguilar came onto the um, podcast with me, my first season, and we talked about coaching for equity. So you can check out episode 28, Coaching for Equity with Elena Aguilar. And that is um, a, a shorter episode. And it's all about how we see inequities in the school system, but you know, we kind of are not always sure how to initiate the conversations around these ideas and how to make change happen. So Elena shares some ideas about how we can change ourselves and our schools to create equity. So that's a really great episode um, that you can tune into to learn a little bit more about some of the things that Jessica was talking about in this episode. You can also grab um, a free PD download on my site. If you go to buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 100, uh, 112. So it's episode with a capital E 112. That is where you can scroll down to the bottom of the show notes and get the free PD download. It has some tools for you to find out, you know, what your teachers need, need to learn a little bit more about, and you can use that to plan your professional development around. So you can grab those tools. I also have a resource in my TBT store that you might want to check out. That is um, some surveys and forms that you can use to learn about your teacher's needs and interests and what it is that they are trying to do to grow as practitioners so that you can support them in those areas. So if you go to teacherspayteachers.com and you search for my store, that's Chrissy Beltran, Buzzing with Miss V. The resource that I'm sharing with you is actually called um, surveys and forms to use with teachers. So let me just make sure I've got that title right because I don't that doesn't sound complete to me. <laughs> so you're actually looking for the resource teacher feedback surveys for instructional coaching. And that's printable versions and Google Forms versions. And you can grab those in my TPT store. Next week, we are actually talking 
with a coach in the field about how they can plan PD. So they're having some challenges around planning professional development. And so we're going to do a coaching call and you get to listen in as we chat and talk and do some problem solving and figure out kind of what's going on and um, hopefully come up with some ideas that they can use to actually figure out a good plan for their own professional development on their campus. So join me next week. And until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.